0: I'm looking at my list of questions and I'm like, how can I connect the dots here?
1: Well, this might not help you. Hey, welcome to Marginally, a podcast about writing, work, and friendship. I'm Olivia, a corporate drone living in Eastern Europe, working on a novel and daydreaming about lots of other projects.
0: And I'm Megan, a librarian turned freelance book indexer and proofreader also working on a novel while raising two boys with my husband and making PB&Js by the dozen. In today's episode, we'll be talking with a friend of mine, Ayana Gaines. Ayana is a librarian and pop culture geek in Southern California. She's just made the exciting switch from academia to public libraries and is reconnecting with her creative writing side. She writes poetry and is hard at work on her first novel. You can find her and her adorable kittens on Twitter at Librarian or Instagram at againeslibrarian. Uh, On Twitter, that's at P-O-P-C-U-L-L-I-B-R-N, and Instagram is at A-G-A-I-N-E-S, Librarian, and we'll put that in the show notes for you. But meanwhile, let's get to our chat with Ayana. So Ayana, we're so excited to have you here. Thanks for agreeing to talk to us.
2: Well, thanks for having me. This is really cool.
0: So, why don't we start by you can just tell us a little bit about yourself and your
2: day job and your writing. Okay. Um, well, technically, I've probably been writing ever since I can remember. I like did a little comic strip called Super Rabbit when I was, I don't know, seven or eight. And of course, Super Rabbit was, you know, totally not copyright friendly. And, you know, he saved the damsel in distress as Super Rabbits are <laughs> wont to do. My mom had Super Rabbit up in her office when I was little. I remember in high school writing poetry, a lot, a lot, a lot of poetry. (laughs) Usually when I was being dramatic and, you know, heart sore over a boy or some situation. Although I also did write a poem about a friend eating jello once. It was actually an (laughs) awesome poem. Um, And I was in the creative arts club, I wrote poetry through college. I was actually part of a co-educational literary fraternity. So that was always sort of in the background, this whole idea of creating. And words have always been my plaything in a way. I've always loved writing. I've always loved puns and reading. But then I got married, then I started working and I kind of forgot that I was a writer if that makes any sense. That makes sense. Yeah, you just get busy with other stuff, and then you have kids, and then you get busy with other stuff. Uh, I've been a librarian for, it seems, forever. Um, I started out in publishing, actually, as an editor, and because I figured, hey, I'm kind of a pain in the butt when it comes to people's writing. I'll just do that. But I hated the fact that I was isolated, so I figured out I needed to be with other people.
0: So I became a librarian.
2: Yeah, I just really needed to, like, talk to people about what they were reading and just interact. So I went back to library school and became a librarian. And I've always done academic until recently. Just this past October, like October 2nd, I started working in a public library. You know, and people are like, whoa, you're giving up tenure? And I'm like, yep. Whoa. I just gave up tenure and started working in a public library as youth services supervisor. And I'm loving it. It's so much fun. My writing up until this point has been, you know, as an academic, it was very academic writing. You know, I was a member of Midwest Popular Culture Association. So I was writing and presenting papers on things like sock puppet theater as used by people who liked Buffy the Vampire Slayer. They were writing, you know, live journal entries in the voices of Buffy characters or slash fiction written on Gilmore Girls. And I can tell you which is the most popular parent. <laughs> <laughs> and Rory Harris, in case you're wondering. Yeah, I can see that. Totally. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and
2: then I was asked to write a book chapter on the, the um, image of librarians and popular culture and what are the ramifications of that. And that was an ACRL publication that came out in, I want to say 2014. No, 2015 is when the book came out. So I was really honored to be asked to be part of that publication. And so that was like, sort of like, ooh, I'm a big girl now. <laughs> <Right>. but, <laughs> but always in the back, it's always been that I love writing poetry and I've always wanted to write fiction so that's always been there and it's always been something that I've wanted to explore more so it's always been there I'm just starting to indulge it more nowadays
0: yeah so you have two sons and they are how old are they
2: now Duncan is going to be 16 in a couple of weeks wow and Mr. Griffin is 10 and both of them what's interesting is like Duncan is really interested in the motivation of people and characters. Like, why do characters do certain things? And Griffin will spin these stories that are just long and complicated. he'll say, okay, so there's this dwarf. And he was raised by a bunch of elves, so he doesn't really know who he is. And he'll go on for 45 minutes. <laughs> so it's like, they're both storytellers in their own right. And I love listening to them talk. So it's like, they too have this need to tell stories and to explore inner depths. So it's really cool to watch them develop that.
0: That is really cool. And see, I was just thinking, you know, now you finally have a little bit more time to do your poetry and explore your writing a little bit. So one of the things that we talk about is how we are all writers who don't write as part of our day jobs. It's not. I mean, we may do writing professionally just as a duty of our other jobs, just as a task, but it's not our professional identity, and we're just trying to fit in our creative writing or other writing in on the margins. And so it sounds like, you know, now that now that your your boys are a little bit bigger, and maybe you have a little bit more space to explore that that's is does that sound can you yeah, talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, it's true. The book chapter, I ended up writing a lot of it on the reference desk, because <laughs> I, did, yeah. I I didn't have time off the reference desk, I was always on it. The only time I was off the reference desk was when I was doing instruction. So, you know, I'd be like writing it on the desk. I'd be researching it on the desk. I'd be emailing friends at other institutions saying, hey, I need an article. They would be very kind and email it to me. So a lot of that was just done while working, which was intense. Nowadays, though... Since I'm living by myself and I have custody of the boys on the weekends, you know, there's more space to do more exploration. So I try to allow myself the time to do more writing. And sometimes the impetus to write isn't there when I have the time. You know, usually it's like, oh, I have to schedule everyone on the desk for the next week. And I have to contact these three people about doing such and such at work. And, oh, but I had this really cool idea for the scene. And, oh, I really need to not do that at work right now.
0: <laughs> so how do you handle that?
2: I try to take really quick breaks. Like, I'm, I ha- I, do, I, do carry a notebook, like an actual physical paper notebook that I write things in if I get an idea I used to carry scraps of paper, but those are easier to lose in the wash. I've done that before. Yeah. So now I have like a little freebie from some vendor from a library conference. That's purple. Yay, purple. Um, and so I carry that in my purse. So if I get a little brainstorm, I can, you know, I might pop out of my little cubicle for a little bit and just go into the kitchen break area and like just write down what I was thinking about so that I'm out of my workspace in a different space and then I write down whatever it was and then go back to my workspace. So I'm making a separation between the two. So that's something I'm trying to maintain and then if I can go back to it later on.
0: I like that idea of separating. How do you get yourself back into it then when you say you get home and you're tired and it's been a long day and you pull out your notebook? Tell me what that looks like.
2: Sometimes what I have to do is like read what I've, already written. I've like right now I am a very strange dreamer um, like I like I was trying to describe a dream to my older son Duncan and he's like you dream like I do and he looks kind of disturbed by this and I'm like what do you mean he's like no like you dream like in screenplay you dream like you can actually see the way the lighting would be set up and and the way that people would be staged and, and where they would be on their mark and I'm like well yeah that's how I dream." I dream in a scene. I dream in full-on cinematic screenplays. And he's like, I thought I was the only one who did that. And I was like, no, I do the same thing. So what happens is that I'll have these dreams and they become parts of the beginnings or the ends or the middles of stories. And so what happens is that I have to remember that I was in that state when I came up with the idea for the story and then start working around it. So sometimes it's a matter of, trying to get back in touch with that state other times it's a matter of going back to my notes like right right now the main story that i'm working on requires a lot of research because it's not about an experience that i've lived so as a person of color i'm really cognizant of the fact that people think they know what your life is about <laughs> like oh she's black she must
1: live in the inner city and do drugs <laughs> You know. <laughs> well, it's convenient for those stories. so.
2: Of course, exactly. That urban fiction, you know, it sells. Mm. So I'm trying really hard to make my story authentic to the lived experience of this character and other people like her. So I'm doing tons of research. I'm researching what would her potential background be? What would her culture be like? What would her parents' school experience be like? I'm trying to make it authentic. So I go back in a lot and do that.
1: Maybe you could talk about your motivation for this specific thing that you're writing. Like, you know, did it come out of the dream and kind of what made you write that?
2: It totally came out of a dream. It was just <sighs> this, I dreamt about this girl who had a beautiful singing voice but her mother was using the singing voice for her own evil malicious purposes and the girl and her friends were trying to basically prove to the world that the mother wasn't the beautiful singing diva that she was showing to the world so it was almost like this vaguely disney-esque young adult movie that i was dreaming
1: Mm, and i was like yeah i was thinking little mermaid yeah and rapunzel and yeah it had all these elements of like a fairy tale
2: but then, when I started thinking about it, this backstory came to me about how, you know, she was, half Lebanese, you know, her mother was was Lebanese and her father was Boston Irish Catholic and they met in music school and her mother discovered what a beautiful voice her daughter had and decided that her husband wasn't ambitious enough because he just wanted to be a music teacher so she ran off with the daughter and disappeared and changed her name and changed her daughter's appearance so that she'd become rich and famous and so, you know, I realized how much research I'd have to do to make this plausible because I could see someone doing this. I could see someone being so ambitious that they would be willing to do almost anything to get a claim that they think they deserve. Mm -hmm. But it also meant that I'd have to do a lot of research into like Berklee School of Music, which is based in Boston. I'd have to research the Irish Catholic community in Boston. It meant I'd have to research what is the Lebanese population like in various areas of the United States? Because, you know, I wasn't going to get that wrong. You know, to me, it's very important to be authentic and to that voice into that community. So, you know, and I wanted to, you know, the character herself to be conscious of who she is, but not, you know, I didn't want it to be a book where it's all about her being half Lebanese. I wanted it to be about her experiences and, oh, by the way, she happens to be half Lebanese.
0: Right, but then it's still it still affects her
2: yeah exactly because at some point her mother tries to dye her hair blonde and it all falls out because she has such dark hair There's only <laughs> so much you can do with hair that's really dark
0: but it's not the central crisis of the book or the central conflict of the book it's not a book about the angst of being Lebanese American
2: exactly the, the you know the crux of the book is who am I I want my father why can't I see my father why does my mother use my voice when do I get to have my own voice it's very much about finding
1: yourself mm-hmm no it sounds really interesting. Yeah definitely. My follow-up question was sort of around and this is a little bit self-serving because I had a moment like this and maybe it's just like the whole body of American literature uh, (laughs) but is there a particular thing that you're reacting to you know going back to your point about not wanting to have stereotyped stories for different communities like I had the book I'm writing is about like a young female working in a particular industry in Russia and I didn't want like I just really objected to this sort of dominant male narrative about the way both women in those societies are portrayed and just like Russian people themselves, you know, they're always the villains and whatever. And so sort of objecting to that, do you think some of your creativity and your idea for the book came out of that? Or is it just like, it's hard to formulate this question. Oh, no, I I totally get it. No, it's,
2: it comes a lot out of sort of those, you know, when people like say, hey, you know, you know, let's find multicultural books. Let's find books (laughs) with, with, you know, female, black, characters in them or with African American characters in them and so many of these characters are in jail or they're in the inner city or they do drugs or they're pregnant and I'm like, you know, guess what kids? None of that's me.
1: None of that <laughs>
2: experience. Yeah. Yeah. Hate to disappoint, but, you know, I grew up in Denver. I didn't grow up in New York City. You know, I grew up in a lovely house in a multiracial integrated neighborhood. You know, my childhood was not filled with gang members lurking in every corner. <laughs> Sorry. So, and I'm sure I'm not the only person of color who feels that, who feels that their experience has been ghettoized in, mm-hmm. in the full sense of the term. Mm-hmm. And so that's always been problematic for me. You know, I as a kid, I loved reading Paula Danziger and I mm-hmm. loved her characters because I always felt more connected with their those characters than I did with I guess characters I was supposed to identify with you know I wanted to come up with characters that yes were of color and you know and yes had ethnic experiences but like for me I was always accused of acting white or talking white a friend of mine once said you're whiter than I am and I'm Dutch and (laughs) uh thank you question mark file that under things never to say (laughs) (laughs) yes So, you know, it's just, so the idea was that there are people of color who haven't had those, quote, ethnic lives.
1: Yeah, you want to reclaim normality, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. Guess what? We, you know, do things like order pizza on Friday nights and watch Saturday morning cartoons whenever (laughs) they happen to be on television. And we don't necessarily spend three hours on Sunday in a Baptist church singing gospel music or anything like that. Yeah. And
0: I think that's kind of the beauty of the emerging diverse books movement is that not only is it incredibly affirming to start showing these stories of people just like you, you know, you're reading a book and, and not only are you reading, you know, you're reading a Paula Danziger type story and identifying with the actions of the character, but When the character looks like you, it's also doubly affirming that it's that you're normal too. But also it helps white kids who are reading along to say, hey, you know what, this kid may not look like me, but her experiences are a lot like mine too. The purpose shouldn't be, you know, let's, let's help the poor little white kids open their minds. But you know, that's a nice little benefit.
2: Yeah, sometimes I feel we otherize entirely too much Yes Sometimes it's like, oh, we must read, you know, books by these types of authors who've learned this kind of experience And it's like, you know, maybe their experience isn't as other as you think it is Mm -hmm. Maybe they have the same kinds of issues about their mother saying, you have too many pairs of black shoes I think you should have other kinds of shoes And you're like, really, mom? I just wear black (laughs) (laughs) Yeah
1: I wanted to ask, like, in that period of time, first of all, how long was it that you didn't write? Because I think some of our listeners, you know, everybody has a break in when they're writing. And even maybe people who haven't yet come back to writing and are listening. How did you, I guess, keep in touch with words? I know that was part of your job, but I guess the more creative side of that.
2: I think it was maybe about a seven or eight year break, which is really kind of sad and
1: scary.
2: I have tons of blank books. I've always sort of had this fascination with blank books. And I'd always be like, I'm going to be a journaler. People will find my journals and be like, wow. Yeah, I'm a horrible journaler. I just don't do it consistently at all. I'm much more consistent at other forms of media. I remember it was like shortly after I moved to California in 2006, And that was a really hard move because I gave up that was when I gave up tenure the first time. You moved from Chicago, right? Yeah, I moved from the Chicago area, gave up tenure to move out here for my then husband's job because he makes video games. And there are many more video game companies in the California area than there are in Chicago. (laughs) So I moved and I felt like I moved for his job. But who wants me out here? There's nothing for me to do out here. And so I had a lot of just sort of anger and bitterness and sadness. So I got to the point where I was internalizing a lot of that and I didn't know what to do with it. And I was sort of told that it was it was exhausting to hear me vocalize it, shall we say. So I turned inwardly and started journaling a lot of it. And so, like, it came out in like angry poems. It came out in little five-page rants. That's when I started sort of writing. But then, after the birth of my second son, which followed maybe about nine months later, nine or ten months later, I just got too busy with Mister Griffin to really write again and then I started doing art therapy back in mm-hmm. 2014 and art therapy the person who would be doing the assignments would like you know read a little bit of a clip or talk about a concept and say okay what do you think about this concept and most people in the group would like talk about it in a very sort of straightforward fashion but to me it always came out as poetry that was the way I was really processing it and I realized that for me the way I process my feelings is through poetry because it allows me to sort of make sense of what I was feeling. and makes sense of how these emotions are all sort of coming together. And that's when I realized, oh, yeah, I used to write poetry. I used to, <laughs> I used to write creatively and not just for so I could get tenure. This was something I really did. And mm-hmm. so I came back. That's how I came back to writing creative creatively was through art therapy and I actually kind of missed the prompts that I used to get through art therapy because they were just so wonderful at during me to think in different ways and I've been kind of thinking of you know maybe following along to see if there's like a way that I could find like daily prompts that I could do so I could write a poem every day because I think that would be a really good way to sort of keep my writing fresh and that would also allow me to you know maintain my creativity and probably have me writing more in other ways So, yeah, it was just coming back to that. And it was like I was reborn and I would like read a poem and people would be like, are you saying you just wrote that poem? And I'm like, yeah, you wrote that poem in 10 minutes. (laughs) Whoa. So I was just sort of reaffirming to find out that I had that gift.
1: That sounds really positive. And are you still writing poetry? You're writing a novel right now. Yeah. I'm writing a novel. I've gone back
2: and re-edited some of my older poems and I've been thinking of going back and writing some more poems. And I've actually been contemplating maybe trying to collect some of my old poems and short little snippets. Like I've written like short scenes from what could potentially be larger stories and maybe trying to collect them all and trying to get them published at some point because I've got tons of poems on like, you know, lots of different topics. And it'd be kind of cool to put them all together in one little collection. Mm, Yeah,
0: Yeah, definitely. So what is your writing process like then? And, and sort of a follow up question um, that you can answer at the same time. Is it different for poetry and for longer form fiction? I'm going to hazard a guess that it is. And (laughs) can you do both at the same time? Like, can you be working on both at the same time or do you find you need a
2: separation? I think I actually can do both at the same time. For me, poetry is a spur of the moment processing of an emotion. For me, Poems are very raw. They're very of the moment. They're very almost like meditative instances. They're almost zen for me in a way. For me, it's almost like meditation. It's Mm -hmm. very, for me, it's almost like working on mindfulness exercises. You know, for me, that's what a poem is, is that it's mindfulness. And I'm taking one small instance, one snapshot and working on it and working the words around it to describe it. But for me, a novel is a grander world-building exercise. And so it requires something more than just mindfulness. It requires forethought. It requires really concentrating on who is this character, what is the motivation, which is why I've been doing such extensive note-taking on my novel and doing such extensive research before I've even really written You know, I've written the prologue, but I haven't written the chapters, even though I kind of scripted them in my head, because I want to make sure I get everything right. And that's why I've been doing so much research to make sure that when I actually start writing it, I want to make sure that I know who my characters are. I want to make it so that they flow easily as I write them.
0: No, that makes sense. I think um, when you talk about poetry, I think it was, we'll have to look this up, but I think it was Mary Oliver who describes the process of writing a poem as being caught by the poem and then, you know, hearing it coming out behind her and letting it go through her. Yeah. That sounds a lot like what you're saying, which is cool.
2: Mary Oliver is awesome. Mary Oliver is amazing. Hey,
0: this is Megan a few days later. So I looked it up and it's not Mary Oliver. It's Ruth Stone, who is also amazing. So, I mean, clearly writing a novel, one of the things that it takes is a lot of time. How do you make the time?
2: One thing I try to do is remind myself not to get distracted by the internet, which is very <laughs> <laughs> It's like, oh, pretty Twitter. Fortunately, there are enough dire things that have been happening in the world that it's really easy for me to turn off my Twitter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, There are some days where I just like take a two minute glance and I'm like, oh, I don't even want to go there. and (laughs) I just put my phone down and go and do something else. And it's really easy. And and I basically got rid of cable, mostly for monetary reasons. But ever since I moved out on my own, I am not as much connected to the TV as I thought I would be. I thought I would just sit there and watch TV mindlessly, but I don't. I'm doing things with a lot more deliberation now, which I find very interesting. So it's very easy for me to just say, I'm not going to watch TV. I'm going to do such and such. So I think it's being deliberate with how I choose.
0: So you mentioned at the very beginning about doing some some work on the reference desk, which I can completely sympathize with or identify with because, you know, mainly your job at the reference desk is to be there if somebody has a question. And then if nobody has a question, then, you know, you might have a class to prepare for or something else to work on, but you might not. And so that is one of the things that I miss about the library, World is having a place to be for certain hours, but not necessarily being more more on call tasks rather than active tasks, if that makes sense. like yeah. Because one of the things about being at the reference desk is if you look like you're busy, people won't come up and ask you questions. You sort of are almost required to just sit there expectantly <laughs> looking cheerful and ready to be approached. So that was something that I could really identify with and it makes me sort of a little homesick for the public library. But outside from giving you a space where you're surrounded by books and maybe it's quiet and maybe it's not, that's a myth I think of libraries, but what else do you think having a day job in your specific day job gives you that you wouldn't get if you were just a full-time writer?
2: Well, one thing that's really cool is that right now in my new job, I've discovered that one of the other supervisors, the circus supervisor, is also a writer. I and mean, he has a manuscript, and I was talking to him about it yesterday, and he's like, well, it starts off as fantasy, but then you discover it's really sci-fi. And I was like, ooh. Wow. <laughs> so I really want to talk process with him. I, I You know, just yeah. there's another writer in the building, someone who's written a novel and has a manuscript. You know, it would be really cool to just sort of be able to you know, talk shop with him. But also, he also has a young son and, you know, works full time. So I'd like to talk time management with him as well. You know, how does he do it? How has he managed to generate a full manuscript working full time you know what's this process I love talking process with people yeah definitely and then it's also just really cool being surrounded by all these resources that I can use they're different than the ones I used to have at the college library but they're still ones that would be really (laughs) useful for my book for example if I really I've already you know sort of researched the areas and the backgrounds of my characters the fact that I live near LA means that I can very easily place this in LA but what if I wanted to place it in like outside of New York, then I needed to do something else. And we've got databases that'll help me sort of, you know, narrow it down to a block within Manhattan and tell me what the local businesses are on that block. And then I can actually make this really realistic. So just having access to those databases is really awesome. I work, since I work with youth services, that means I have access not only to the kids, but also to the high schoolers. And there, we have a teen advisory board. So if it ever gets to a shape where I think it might be ready for an audience, I could ask our teen librarian if she thinks they might get a kick out of reading a chapter of it and tell me what they think. So, hey, oh, live that's cool. You know, I could say, what do you guys think? Would you read this and say, oh, this sucks? Or what do you think it <laughs> mm-hmm. So And they might get a kick out of reading an actual live author's thing.
1: Yeah, and you could teach them a bit about the process of writing as well, right? Like it's cool because it's not like somehow this book appeared, right? It's like an actual person that they have met <laughs> who wrote it, yeah. you know?
2: Exactly. So I think there could be a lot of really cool synergy going on. Definitely. I think it's cool.
1: Yeah.
0: So have you ever worked with a writing partner before?
2: Nope, never have. I've always been one of
0: those scribbling in the dark You know,
2: tearing up my hair. I don't know what I'm doing kind of person.
0: Yeah, I think we all do that. And then when we connect with another writer and like you said, talking process and craft, it's like there's just this great feeling of, oh, I'm not... I mean, I may be crazy, but this is not what makes me crazy. Yeah, I'm not alone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's it's so great. Um, one of the things I did when I last was in public libraries was I actually had a writing group that was a library program, but
2: I got to use it too. So that was pretty cool. Now that's cool. Yeah, I know there are like some writers groups. I have another friend who just as part of her thesis for her undergraduate degree finished a novel and I'm just like, that is so awesome. And she belongs to like the local poetry group. And so I want to like pick her brain as well and find out how she, you know, what her process is and how supportive is the local writers groups and stuff like that. So I think that would be cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
0: so the final question is just about Nano. I was just going to ask you
2: about that. Oh yeah. So I did, I did Nano once. I didn't finish I think I did it for like a week or two and then just decided ah, this is not for me. I, I can see where it's, it's like that writing everyday concept, which I totally understand. But I also know that deep down inside, or maybe not that deep at all, I'm competitive and I can be a perfectionist. Uh-huh. And those are really bad, bad, bad things to do if I'm trying to write a novel on a schedule. Because <clears throat> I could see myself totally... Saying, well, I had to do this immediately and I had to do this quick and I had to be the best. And, and, and yeah, I could see myself mm. just driving myself completely and utterly bonkers doing <laughs> now. And it would be unhealthy for me. So I just, for the people who do it and do it successfully, I think it's awesome. I think it's so cool that they can do it. But I also know that my personality type would just freak out if I did it. I just know that it would be very unhealthy for me that i would either stay up all night and sacrifice everything to get to the word count or that i wouldn't get anything done because it's not perfect Mm -hmm. so and if both happened boy
0: (laughs) (laughs) no that's that's completely i can really understand that so what does work for you so far i think these things change as your life circumstances change and the weather and everything else but for now what is working for you
2: what works for me is oddly enough having a home environment that feels creative. I'm actually gonna be moving to a new apartment in a couple of weeks, so I'm in the midst of packing. What I noticed is when I was taking down the things that I had up on my wall was that how I had created a space that felt nurturing to me. Um, mm. Now I had you know sketches from by artists up on my wall. I had a Turkish rug that my mom brought for me from Turkey. I had you know, my singing bowl from Tibet just things that felt like they were part of part of my quirkiness. And I, you know, I had my laptop and just things that I felt nurtured who I was and good sunshine. And all of those things are sort of what give me the space I need to be creative. So one of the things I was thinking is that when I get to my new apartment, I need to make sure I create the same kind of space and make and keep it that way so that it can encourage me to continue to be creative. So for me, that's what's the most important: is to have the space and and maintain the space to be creative.
1: Mm, I love that. Yeah, same. Um, how often do you write? Like going into technical details, do you write every day? Is it a few times a week, or you know,
2: um, like
1: I don't I definitely cards. don't write every day.
2: I write maybe maybe once or twice a week, maybe. Sometimes it depends on just like how busy. Right now with the new job, since I'm only in my fourth week there, I'm still learning all of these new things about it. Like I had all day training yesterday on something. So, you know, I got home and I was like brain tired, must rest. So I didn't do anything particularly creative at all last night. So it depends on how tired I am from work and getting used to things. But I think as I get more used to my new job, I'll be able to find more and more mental space to do more writing and more creating because it's a great environment that I'm in. I really like where I work. So knowing that and having that, I think, helps me want to be creative.
0: That's awesome. I hope it works. (laughs) Same. Thank you so much for uh, coming and talking to us. This was really great. Oh, sure. Yeah, thank you. Well, thanks. That was awesome. So that was really fun. I love talking to other writers.
1: Yeah, I really enjoyed that.
0: That's cool. And actually, fun fact, so I have known Ayana for more than 10 years, probably, but we've never met in real life. So
1: um, the Internet's a cool place. I love the Uh, Internet sometimes, (laughs) with the caveat of what we already discussed in that interview. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So... I really loved what she said about Nano. I could really identify with that. Like I told her. Um, and for those who don't know, Nano is short for Nano which is also short <laughs> for <a> National <laughs> National Novel Writing Month, and it is the month of November, which is the, starts this week, November first. Scary time. So the idea, yeah. So the idea is that you try to write the first draft of a novel. Fifty thousand words is the goal in 30 days and it's a big deal especially on the internet the as we mentioned before the internet being a wonderful thing Mm -hmm. um and you it's it's just everywhere right now but i have done nano i tried it last year and it it just doesn't hasn't worked for me in the past and part of it is because i am not in like i'm not starting a new book I've been in the middle of a book for five years, so I um, it's just really hard to be like, oh, I'm doing this every day, and now all of a sudden I have all of these external goals. I have to write 1,667 words every single day, no matter what, and the perfectionism gets me down. One of the things that I have found works really well for me is to set my goal to be as much as I can. No numbers attached, no time attached, no target to hit, just as much as I can is what I'm going to try to do every day. It's like when you're a little kid and you're like, just try your best and you'll be fine. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And it works. It's really encouraging for me. And I'm able to do it every single day. If I say like, I'm just going to do as much as I can this morning. But if I say I'm going to write this number of words, then I can get really crazy trying to hit those words. I get really down if I don't do it. If I don't do it one day, it's really hard for me to do it the next day because I feel behind. So I don't feel like I just have to hit that same like... 2000 words I now have to add what I missed well this is what they
1: say on their website right
0: right and I think that's really motivating for some people but it's like a great big stone tied around my neck so
1: I understand talk me into it though (laughs) no I'm not trying to talk you into (laughs) it I just think we could have I'm quite rebellious maybe like I really like to work within a system and then kind of slowly undermine that system from within and Mm. so I am basically so I think about it last year I kind of got rid of the word count goal, although I would have loved to have written 50,000 words. It's actually not realistic. And I think for a lot of our listeners who have a full-time job or you know a lot of other responsibilities is also not realistic like it actually takes a long time to write 1600 words 1667 which is your daily count and in general i don't like from fresh i don't write more than a couple thousand words even if i have like the whole day like on the weekend right so that is not realistic for me however my analogy is that this is basically like a marathon And you can sign up for different races. And this is like a renegade approach because really most of their website is about the 50,000 word count goal. There are a couple of forums, I think, that are kind of for people who maybe have other projects or who have different goals. I'm basically planning to kind of live in that area and we might start a chat or a group or not really a group but like a discussion in one of those. So we will send the link, Mm -hmm. we'll post it on the blog and post it on our Instagram and that's pretty much all our outreach (laughs) options. So that's all you get. So it'll be on our blog and on our Instagram. And if you're interested... Marginallypodcast.com. Yes, com, and marginallypodcast on Instagram. And we will just uh, inform you of that there. The point is, there are ways that you can... Participate. It's like signing up for a marathon. Like, I don't want to run a marathon, at least not right now, but maybe 5K is good for you or 10K. And I think that you can make your own goal and still have it be ambitious for you, but also have it kind of be something that is more reasonable. Because I think for me, a lot of the tension comes from when the goal is unreasonable. Yeah,
0: I can see that. Part of what also gets me is. The idea of winning.
1: Yeah, I don't like that word. Yeah, and it works for a lot of
0: people, and uh, this is not to like poo-poo Nana. <laughs> no, of course. <laughs> but but I'm just trying to explain. Like, so it's funny that you say like you like to work within the system and then subvert it. But I am such a rule follower person that it really stresses me out to not even though they they codify like you can be a quote nano rebel and you can set your own goals it's all still quantified and the idea is that you know my goal is to just keep doing what i've been doing and so then when i look at it that way it's like what's the point in but going forward maybe
1: that is your goal and i think you know given everything that we've been saying about resting and taking care of yourself but pushing forward that might be the right goal for you But actually, last year, I really found it. It was the first year that, like I think I've said before, that was the first year or time that I'd really kind of made myself carve out the time to actually ride every day. And it was motivating for me to know that there are people around the world, literally tens of thousands of people, doing it at the same time and so like I want to set a slightly more ambitious target for myself but not because I want to really kill myself in the mornings or in the evenings or whatever and I'm happy to revise down but I think because I know that there is some kind of group motivation that I did get last year I think I will try to draw on that again that makes sense and when
0: you said you're happy to revise down I always find myself revising up rather than down so yeah well um, and I think this is just a well so this is I think a difference in just our personalities um, just our basic essence is that if I set a goal to run two miles twice a week before long it's become two miles three times a week and then it becomes three miles three times a week and then it becomes and then it gets to a point where it's unsustainable and then I fall apart but maybe
1: you can set like so you should come up with a goal that works for you whether it's like touching your work every day or you know whatever it is or six days a week or something and you that goal to engage with other people and it's like an encouragement to other people right that everybody's making these goals and we're all going to try to encourage each other to hit those goals it doesn't have to be word count goal it could be whatever else
0: Yeah, I think actually that right there, what you said just gave me an idea. Like, I think that a good goal for me is going to be to engage with other writers and be part of the community. And that itself is, it's intangible, I guess, in a way. It's not like I'm going to be like, reach out to one person every (laughs) single day. But focusing on the community aspect is going to be my goal. The thing that's been the most motivating for me as far as really dedicating myself to writing every day, not every day, but writing regularly and keeping a schedule and really focusing, there's been a combination of factors, but its it mostly comes down to taking myself seriously as a writer in the first place, and this podcast has a lot to do with it, and our writing partnership has a lot to do with it, and I feel okay in that spot, and I don't want to mess with the equilibrium mm-hmm. at this point. I'm a little afraid of introducing a new element, but I like... I like the idea of participating more in like the greater community and that I think that will strengthen where I am now and strengthen like my identity as a writer and then that in turn strengthens my writing practice and that's good.
1: Yeah. And it's also important to be the people who cheer for the people who are running in the marathon. (laughs) So
0: one of the things I love about my seven-year-old is he is not a good soccer player. Like, that is just not his strength. He covers his face whenever he goes in to kick the ball. Oh. He's <laughs> he's just... he, But he loves it. He loves being on a team. And he is one of the things that I just absolutely love about watching him play is he is so encouraging and supportive of everybody on his team. And he gets really excited. And if somebody scores a goal, he's, you know, cheering for her or he's like, she's, he's cheering on when someone like breaks away with the ball or somebody has a good save. And, uh, he's just really enthusiastic and loves it. And like, he loves being part of the team, even if he, and he doesn't mind, even if he doesn't even get a chance to play. So I think that is like the mindset that I need to take into this.
1: And you are playing. So I still contest that mindset. But I understand. (laughs) I understand. I just like to argue. So I understand what you're saying.
0: No, 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 that's good. Well, and you've known me for a long enough time to know that like, being the cheerleader and the team player, like maybe that's a good enough stretch for me. (laughs) <laughs> no comment <laughs> to, no just joking, just joking. To like
1: stretch my personality a little bit no but you do like to be in there so yeah yeah
0: yeah and that way it takes the focus off production and competition and it, it puts the the focus onto encouragement and growth and that's really i think i think overall is the goal of nano is like the encouragement and the growth and whatever works for you to get there is what's good. Yeah, totally. Some people need more competition. Like, as a motivator, I need less, way less.
1: Yeah, and also, I mean, they do have, like, riding prompts. They have various other, like, write ins and some other things that might just be fun just to get different creative juices. You know, like we were talking about with prompts. Yeah. So there may be different muscles that you could be building up if you have time but they don't have to be your struggle. Right. Goal.
0: I'd like to host a couple sprints. I think that would be really fun. Yeah. You know, we can we can do some of that and we'll like we said we'll post about that in advance and let you know when. And I think you know we we joked uh, about a month ago about being finished with our revisions and being able to, to start a whole <laughs> new project <laughs> which is not going to happen that's. <laughs> and that was pretty clear a month ago.
1: Yeah, we joked with each other. We both I wrote Megan and said something like oh hey just now I thought I maybe I could finish my whole book before November 1st and then start something new and then wrote in all caps I think (laughs) I am so hilarious in my head (laughs) (laughs) yeah
0: and it was funny because i had been thinking the exact same thing but clearly that's not going to happen but I think if I were in the position to be starting a new project that I would definitely be excited about seeing how much I could get done in a month and if I could get to 50,000 words Yeah, Nano.
1: Yeah, I would actually really like to save a random idea that I have, you know, something I just want to play with for next year's and actually really do it. Because obviously next year I'm going to be completely finished. Yep, absolutely. With my current project. These books are going to be out on
0: submission.
1: It's going to be awesome. Yeah, I'm (laughs) planning. I've already cashed checks in my mind. No, just joking. (laughs) That's it? So... That's all, and we'll just keep you posted. I think, like, in terms of what's coming up for us this week, I think it is sort of engaging with Nano, figuring out what we're going to do, and we'll be publicizing a lot of that on our website, marginallypodcast.com. And our Instagram account, Marginally Podcast. Yep, and we will
0: see you on Nano. Let us know, are you doing it? Are you not doing it? Why? Send us an email, send us a voice memo. We'd love to hear from you. Yes, and that's podcast at marginallypodcast.com. That's right. Talk to you later. Marginally is produced by the two of us, Megan and Olivia. So excuse any amateur issues. We're working on it. Theme music is It's Time by Skarika Rikaska show notes for every episode are available at marginallypodcast.com thanks for listening sorry not to freak you out it like actually starts next week but when the recording comes out it starts next <laughs> yeah, this week, it starts this week. <laughs>